Welcome to Teacher Talk with Zach Clancy. I'm Zach Clancy. Each episode, we'll be exploring a topic in education related to the personal learning environments of classroom teachers. This week, we're continuing to look at Stafford Beer's viable system model. So, as I mentioned, this is part two, but it's looking like this is not going to be the final installment. Last time, we looked at the structure of viable systems. This time, we're going to be looking at the mechanics of the viable system. So, last time, we looked at it from a static perspective. This time, we're going to use the model to look at systems in motion. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I'd recommend that you go back and listen to it. I'm going to be doing this episode based on the assumption that you're familiar with all the information from part one. But before we delve into the details of this episode, it's time for Collaboration Corner. This week's shout-out goes to friend of the show, Oscar Silo Stanton, host of Teachers Talk Live, a weekly web show hosted on Google Hangouts, where expert educators discuss hot topics in education. You can check out the most recent episode about teacher evaluations at teachcow.com. Once again, that's teachcow.com, which, as always, I'll link to in the show notes. All right. So last time I talked about Stafford Beer's life and the five different levels in a viable system. This time, we're going to be looking at how the levels interact with each other, as well as the four basic principles of organization that can be used to design and explain a viable system and can be used to diagnose a system that's faulty or not viable. And it's important to note that in this case, diagnosing a faulty system means more than merely assigning blame to someone. In the viable system model, the role of information in regulating systems is fundamental. And the type of regulation we're talking about isn't like customs office regulations that might limit or restrict the number of luxury items that can be imported into a country. It's more like how red lights regulate traffic in intersections or how your breathing patterns are regulated by the rate of your heartbeat. So, in general, cybernetics is concerned with organizational structure. And what I'm talking to you about today is the adaptive connections in a dynamic structure. A structure that can change based on its ecological and environmental context. As I mentioned, Eventually, we're going to be looking at ways to diagnose non-viable systems, as well as how to design viable systems. In this instance, like I said, diagnose doesn't mean assign blame. Rather, it's concerned with recognizing which parts of the system are missing, as well as which parts are not operating properly. And specific things to look for include subsystems that don't work well, interconnections that are either too formal or too informal, as well as communication channels that can't carry their due information loads, 
and too much centralized control or too much localized autonomy. Those things might not make much sense right now, but hopefully they will make more sense at the end of this episode. Like I mentioned before, we're looking at a model for systems that are viable or able to maintain a separate existence. But it's important to note that while viable systems exist separately, they don't exist in a vacuum. A viable system is comprised of smaller systems and it is a part of a larger system or multiple systems. But it's really important not to think of systems as being arranged in a hierarchy or even in a family tree. It's more accurate, but not entirely accurate, to think of it like Russian nesting dolls. I'll try to link to some visual aids in the show notes. It's hard enough to explain viable system model in writing, but it's even harder in the spoken word format, especially when you don't have any visual aids. So check the show notes. I'll try to have a link in there. And if not, give me a few days and I'll post to it on the website, which is teachertalkwithzackclancy.com. Anyway, before I go into any more details about the visual structure of viable systems, we need to talk about the characteristics of viable systems. In a way, the characteristics are more important than what a visual representation of a viable system could look like. The reason I say could is because virtually every viable system has a visual layout that is going to be at least slightly different from every other viable system out there. Also, there are line segments connecting shapes, and the shapes represent different parts of the system, which are themselves their own viable systems. And so if that wasn't confusing enough, the lines that connect the shapes represent the ability to transmit information. But information is not necessarily being transmitted along those lines all the time. With that said, I think it's better to think about the properties or characteristics of a viable system. So with that said, this might sound counterintuitive at first, or even like something that's beyond the limits of current technology. But just let me explain, because like I said, at first it might sound a bit ludicrous, even risible. Anyway, viable systems are self-referential. And what that means is they have their own internal logic. And this is what allows viable systems to maintain their identity, to facilitate self-repair, and to foster self-awareness and recursivity itself. And just so we're on the same page, recursion is the idea that a viable system is composed of smaller viable systems, and it, it is also itself a part of at least one larger viable system. So, like I said a moment ago, viable systems are self-aware, but only on an internal basis. So it might be more accurate to refer to viable systems as being self-referential because they exist as part of an internal environment. And the ability to reference itself allows a viable system to facilitate internal stabilization. In other words, it allows systems to achieve and maintain homeostasis.
And homeostasis is what I was talking about in part one of this episode when I made the thermostat analogy. And so if you're not familiar with that, like I said, um, I would definitely go back and listen to part one. So anyway, the ability to maintain homeostasis gives systems the ability to maintain their identities in the face of unexpected or unknown disturbances, which is something I'll talk about more in just a minute when we get to the fourth principle of organization. Okay, so I think that's about all you need to know about the characteristics of viable systems before we move on to those four principles that I mentioned earlier. But before I explain the first principle, I need to define a few key terms. First of all, the term variety refers to a measure of the number of a different possible states of a system. And so that sounds like a mouthful, but what I mean by that is imagine a huge wall full of light switches. Each switch has two positions, right? Up and down. And each switch can be set to either position independent of the position of any other switch. Now, imagine all the different ways that those switches could be arranged. Each possible arrangement is a different state of the system. So that's variety, which leads us to the law of requisite variety. That law is only variety can absorb variety. So in other words, the only way to be able to handle complexity is with complexity. I sort of think of this as an eloquent way of saying there are no silver bullets, no simple solutions to complex problems. As a side note, this law is also known as Ashby's Law. It was, air quotes, discovered by W. Ross Ashby, who also created the homeostat that I mentioned in part one of this episode. The thing that Stafford Beer used as his inspiration to make the electronic game that taught elementary school kids how to solve multivariable algebra equations. Anyway, while variety is the only thing that can absorb variety, it can be reduced with attenuation, which is sort of the same way water pressure decreases as the diameter of a pipe or garden hose increases. And variety can also be amplified, the same way you can increase water pressure by covering up part of the water faucet in your kitchen sink. So with that said, the first principle of organization is varieties that are present in all the different parts of a system have a tendency to cancel each other out, which is good because systems have to be able to deal with an exceedingly large amount of variety but systems should be designed to handle that variety with minimal cost. And by that, I don't mean necessarily economic cost as much as I mean opportunity cost. So for example, you know, if you're getting a doctorate, you pretty much have guaranteed employment in one form or another for life. But that opportunity costs you years of your life and tens of thousands of dollars, right? So I think it's reasonable to incur those costs for guaranteed employment, but it's not reasonable to incur those costs for a regular size candy bar. The principle 
The first principle of organization basically says that you shouldn't invest years of effort and tens of thousands of dollars for 250 calories of chocolate and sugar. The second and third principle make sense when they're explained together, so that's what I'm going to do. But before I explain them, I need to define some terms again. So imagine three systems. The first is a teacher. The second system is knowledge about teaching that the teacher is looking for. And the third system is the internet. Information could flow from the teacher through his or her search for knowledge to the internet. So, for example, they could post something on Twitter asking for a fourth grade language arts lesson plan about astronauts. Information could then flow from the internet through this search for knowledge back to the teacher. Someone could, for example, post a link to a lesson at teacherspayteachers.com. So, imagine three shapes in a straight row with two lines connecting the middle shape to the shape on the left, as well as two lines connecting the middle shape to the shape on the right. So there's a total of four lines. Those lines could also be called channels. And each channel has its own capacity or amount of information that it can transfer in a given amount of time. And along those channels are things called transducers which can encode messages into different modes of expression as information crosses the boundary of one system into another system. So with that said, the second principle of organization is that the four channels that I just mentioned must be able to transmit more information faster than the subsystems can generate it. The third principle has to do with transduction or encoding and decoding information. It says that the variety of the transducer must be at least equal to the variety of the channel. It's sort of like having the ability to be a foreign language interpreter. You have to be able to translate from one language to another and back again in real time as a conversation progresses. Viable systems have a similar ability. And that brings us to the fourth and final principle, which has to do with homeostasis, which, like I mentioned before, is related to the thermostat analogy that I mentioned in part one of this episode, except in this case, in the case of the fourth principle of organization, it is on a much larger scale. With that said, the only term I need to define for the fourth principle is oscillation which is the failure to achieve homeostatic equilibrium between all the subsystems of a larger system. With that said, the fourth principle of organization is the operation of the first three principles must be cyclically maintained through time without hiatus or lag. And that last part about no time delays is really important. It's kind of like figuring out how fast you're going to have to run to catch the bus before it pulls away from the bus stop. You know, if it takes you 14 hours to figure out how long it'll take, it's too late. You'll have missed the bus. 
With that said, I hope my explanation didn't miss the bus. Or this episode, for that matter. You can tell me what you thought of this episode and send any thoughts, questions, or comments about it, as well as any suggestions for future episodes to teachertalkwzc at gmail.com. You can also reach me on Twitter at teachertalkwzc. Find me on Facebook at teachertalk with Zach Clancy. And at our home on the web, teachertalkwithzachclancy.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.